As a marketing leader, the most important relationship you have is with your CEO. And given the fact that the average tenure of a marketing leader is only 18 months, it's safe to say most of those relationships are strained. The relationship I have with our CEO and the trust he has in me is one of the main reasons why we've had such amazing success in marketing and as a company. So today, our CEO, Gil Alush, and I are going to sit down and talk about how to build and maintain a healthy relationship between the head of marketing and CEO. We'll give our thoughts, but even better, we're going to use some real-world scenarios that have happened over the last two and a half years as examples. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, Gil. So we're finally on a podcast together, just the two of us. It's exciting for me. You know, we've talked about our relationship publicly quite a bit and just like how much we like working with each other and like LinkedIn posts and stuff. But we've never really sat down together to really talk about like talk about it together and why it is and the stories. And so this should be a lot of fun and I'm I'm excited and I think it should be pretty uh, engaging for our fellow marketers out there. I'm pumped. <laughs> nice. Um, so I'm going to set a little context and then we're going to get in and kind of do our normal demand gen U stuff. We're going to basically teach this as a lesson, but lots of stories in it. So to set context, um, Gil and I have been working together in some capacity for about two and a half years. I've been working for him. Um, six months as a contractor and then about two years, actually, as of April 1st, I think, as our full-time VP of marketing. And my background was primarily large, kind of stuffy, formal enterprise orgs. And I was working as a marketing ops leader. And Gil's coming from it from a startup perspective. So we were already kind of starting in different, with different contexts and different perspectives. And also, you know, before Gil became a CEO, uh, he was raised up through marketing. Um, he is VP of marketing at several places, which gave, gives him a, you know, unique perspective on what we're dealing with as marketers. So that was the context, you know, that I had. Uh, but Gil, anything, anything else to add about kind of your background? No, truly, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a software engineer turned marketer, so a very different take. I'm not none of the Don Draper uh, traits of marketer, more like the technical guy in the back of the room uh, doing demand and making sure sales is happy. Uh, I think you are a better marketer than I ever was, and I think you know that. Uh, but it's good to have some sort of, uh, of an idea uh, what VP marketing should be doing and what marketing in B2B is. And so I'm glad I have a little bit of that context and respect because I've done a lot of the work, and so um, I have a lot of respect for all the hard work that VPs of marketing have to do without always getting a lot of the credit. Yeah, and you've got some of, you got a lot of that empathy too for what we're dealing with because you know you've been on the other side of like, you know, the sales coming after you and just like not being happy sometimes. So it, it, it does help for sure. What side do you think you lean towards more? Engineering or marketing? I think I know the answer, but. Ah, uh, man, it's tough. Uh, I think I... I'm an engineer in my bones, right? Like, you know, because I, I grew up in there and I've done that since I'm a kid. Uh, uh, so I've, I think I have a lot more years as an engineer than as a marketer. But, you know, I really wanted to go into the business side when I moved to the US, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. So marketing was my home for the longest time. And so uh, I think I also have a lot of, uh, a lot of love for B2B marketing, uh, which is why I started a company in that space. Yeah, and like the good news for me is most of your ideas are not shit, which is great. So like, <laughs> so I know a lot of my fellow VP of marketing out there, you have to work with CEOs and you're just like, oh, did they really just ask me to do that? That, that happens sometimes, but like not as much at all as if you had not been a marketer. So it's been nice. Um, That's so great to know. <laughs> 
Cool. Okay, so let's get into this. So we're going to start by like kind of almost talking about it from like a book perspective, but like what does a healthy relationship between, you know, a VP of marketing, head of marketing and a CEO look like? And why is it important? Um, so I'll start. Yeah, start with you. So, uh, you know, what are some of those features, you know, that you see? It's like, you know, that that marketer and that CEO are, have a healthy relationship. Yeah, uh, trust is probably the biggest one. Yeah. Um, trust, trust that uh, that marketing is going to do what marketing needs to do to equip sales with and the ability to close business so that the company grows. Because that's my job as a CEO to make sure those things happen. Uh, so if I have trust that the the, the 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 VP of marketing knows that and is doing everything in their power, uh, and they are not hiding behind anything, right? They're not hiding behind excuses, behind vanity metrics, behind all kinds of million things that even I used in the past. Uh, if, if that doesn't, if that, that those excuses are not there and it's a transparent, trusting relationship, I think that is a huge fundamental um, in, in their relationship. Uh, I know that's something that I always strive to have with my own CEOs as a VP of marketing. And so it's something that I, uh, I think is fundamental for the relationship. And the other thing is uh, being pragmatic. You know, marketing can be a lot, can mean a lot of things for many people. In a B2B context, if the VP of marketing can produce, you know, consistent, predictable pipeline for sales that closes into revenue, that is it. That's like that's the majority of it. When you do that, then you have if you have a seat at the table, and then you have credit to do a lot of other things that you may not know yet how to do. Um, and I think that is a big fundamental because as a CEO, you see it happen. You see the pipeline is there, see sales closing it. So you're happy. Even if everything else is still not yet there, it buys you so much time to figure the rest out. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, I agree. Trust is like, I think trust is like the thing, you know what I mean? And then there's like other things that can either build trust or take trust away. Um, which is kind of some of the things you're talking about. And I know for me too, um, you said hiding behind things. I have absolutely done that in past careers and a little bit with you too, you know, like early on, I, I less and less and less, you know what I mean? As I figured out like, oh, I can be raw, honest with Gil. And I know, you know, I can expect like what that's going to be like. And it's better to be raw, honest than to even like to not at all. But like, in, I think in bigger stuff of your companies, it's almost like we're trained. It's like you're almost trained to do that. It's like, that's how you keep your job is like, oh, don't look over here. You know, like, yeah, just focus over here, you know? And so, but that was one of the things I learned with us pretty quickly um, is that like the best way is just to be raw, honest. You know, if things, if I don't think things are going well, things are not going well. And here's why, and here's what I'm doing to, to fix it. So I think that's the, the main thing. And there's things you can do to build that trust. And then there's things you can do that detracts from it. And so I think building it, the raw honesty. So we talk about that. I think um, confidence too. So like, let's say I was meeting my goals, but I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, and I kind of was that a little bit in the beginning, but the comp I think the CMO having, or the VP of marketing, just whoever having that confidence too, I assume helps you have confidence in them as well. There's must be like some kind of perception thing there. Yeah, uh, confidence is absolutely there. I mean, uh, it, it's important because it, it, it inspires. Um, 
you, there's a balance, you know, there's a fine balance to keep between being humble and being confident uh, and not being cocky, but also not minimizing yourself. Uh, sometimes people uh, confuse being humble with minimizing yourself, and that's a mistake, you know, like you make yourself smaller, you're not sure, you let other people kind of tell you what to do and tell, you join other people's plan instead of making your own plan, and that's a, mis that's a mistake. And on the other hand, taking credit for things you didn't do or just like constantly pumping your chest and, and just worrying about that more than actually doing the work um, and leaving some, some place for people to give you compliments versus you giving yourself compliments all the time. Those are the, the, those are the two ends of the spectrum. I think keeping that very healthy balance is, is key. And I would say last but not least is accountability. Um, you, you, you mentioned that as, as trust, building, uh, trust building blocks. Having high accountability with me, you know, every, every person is different, right? Everyone has their own traits, their own pet peeves, their own things that they look for in a relationship. I always look for a person who is raw, honest, authentic, uh, high performer, but also very, very high accountability. Where if you make a mistake and you're going to make a mistake, if you don't make any mistake, that's a big mistake by itself. If you're making some mistakes, it's good, uh, you know, grab, grab them with both arms. You know, you'll be the first to mention it. You know, have a plan of attack. Ideally, don't repeat it like two, three, four times. Um, and that gives you confidence and trust that this person, again, is not hiding. If there is a fuck up, excuse my language, they are on it and they're vocal about it. And uh, then you don't have to be. They're like, yeah, it's cool. This happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think along with that, too, the confidence breeds like not allowing something that's going wrong to like set you way back and like oh something's going wrong oh shit You're like oh the whole thing is you know what people say throw the baby out with the bathwater, which i don't even know what the hell that means but like you know it's like oh everything is bad and i think that's an important thing that's another thing that i had to like kind of figure out too um because like sometimes my confidence wasn't super high and it took a lot of like proof you know like oh look i've driven demand for six months a year a year and a half you know and i'm still like getting that confidence but um, but yeah, without it, it's like, uh, or if you're not able to stay confident around everything else, it can set you back, you know, and you can actually get paralyzed from, um, from that. And you don't want that. You want to be able to grow and be able to hear that feedback and like, okay, this doesn't mean I'm bad. You know what I mean? Like, this doesn't mean I'm bad. It means like, Hey, I've got some things I need to work on and fix. And I think a lot of marketers just take it to like, especially if it's coming from the CEO. They're like, oh my God, the CEO doesn't like what I just did, so they must think everything I do is bad. And so like, people listening just know that's likely not the case with the CEO, you know what I mean? Even if they don't deliver it in a good way, they think you're doing a lot of good things if you're still there. And so just kind of keep that in mind as you're hearing the feedback. Okay, this is feedback on these areas, but not like on my entire you know, being as a marketer. Um, cool, so yeah, I think that's good on the, like, the healthy relationships. So let's talk a little bit about like, what kinds of things can make the relationship unhealthy? And it's obvious, I think, through some of the things we've talked about, like what makes it healthy. So lying, you know, with like, or being dishonest would obviously, you know, um, turn that south or sour. But what other kinds of things, you know, that aren't just inverses of what makes it healthy, but are there some other things that like could happen on either side, my side, your side, that could make it go a little bit sour? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So for my side, for example, uh, not being empathetic. Uh, how did you, 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 you said it one time really well. Vomiting your 
anxiety on people. You know, it's true. Like, uh, you know, you're talking about managing your, uh, your, your confidence. So, you know, you did, you had a fuck up. It's okay to fall, but just get up quickly. You know, uh, you're not expected to get up after a minute, but after half an hour, after an hour, after a few hours, if it was tough, uh, after a day, if it was like disaster, uh, but don't stay on the ground for like days and weeks, you know, like that's, yep. uh, that's going to be a problem. And, th and that's going to kind of create a little bit of distrust because it, you become inconsistent, you know, like one of the things, and I think, again, you mentioned something like that when you were talking about marketing to people is how do you build trust? You're consistent. Well, time after time, yeah. you're transparent. Time after time, you tell the truth. Time after time, you show even not the beautiful parts of, of marketing and marketers are like, yeah, this happened to me as well. These guys are speaking the truth. And, uh, it's the same in a personal relationship. When you're consistent, you are building that trust. You become predictable to an extent. Not predictable in a, in, a, in a boring way. Predictable in a way that I know I can make a mistake in a live Zoom with this person and they're not going to grill me to death. They're not going to like look for mistakes I'm making and then shame them. That's not yeah. the way, that's not the modus operandi of that person. Rather, it's I'm going to be vulnerable, I'm going to be raw, authentic with that person. And I'm gonna be gonna get back empathy and room for a mistake, and I can make those mistakes, and he's gonna help me or she's gonna help me fix those things and be better. That is to me trust, and when you don't have it, detracts trust. Yep. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I think you know from my side, um, something as simple as like trying to push for vanity metrics. Let's say you know what I mean. So like if I were just like, no, Gil, it's leads. You know, like it's all about leads and, you know, that's what I'm here to do. So I think, you know, a marketer that doesn't hold themselves accountable to a metric that drives the company, which is revenue, you know. And so even if it's pipeline, that's fine, because at least you're dealing with dollars now. And, you know, if you've got good metrics, you know, like how how fast pipeline converts into revenue. And so like pipeline's fine, too. But some a revenue based metric for marketers, uh, I think if you don't take on something like that, that could erode trust. Um, cause then like I, in my world, the way I would think about it is like, if I'm not telling you Gil that like, Hey, I want to drive revenue. Then my assumption is you would wonder what I think my role is here. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like my role isn't to just increase leads, right? It's to like actually help the business grow. Um, and so I think that's one, I think another one is like pretending everything's okay. Um, and like when I was working in agencies, when I was first kind of learning marketing and we were working for customers it was always like i was in the analytics department it was like what spin can we put on this to make it look better to the customer like okay we're not doing this but we did these things you know and will they be excited about those and we just won't talk about this and i think a good ceo will just just see right through that you know what i mean you'll just you just see right through it's like i just and you and in again this is the story i tell myself is if you do that too much, then the CEO is not even really going to want to dig in much more. You know what I mean? Because it's like, man, they're just, it's always like this surface stuff. I'm never really digging in. And I think that maybe signs your pink sheet or whatever that was when people get laid off. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, uh, you did one, one better than that with the whole uh, vanity metrics situation where you came to me more than once. And every time you ask to put your comp uh, attached to a, a deeper level KPI, which is, you know, very courageous, you know, to go and say like, hey, it was, uh, it was every lead, it was demos, 
And hey, Gil, now it's like qualified meetings. Qualified meetings, now it's stage one opportunities. Stage one opportunity, now it's stage two in Salesforce. I'm like, shit, this is awesome. I can go to my board and say, my VP of marketing is proactively asking me to associate their comp to stage two opportunities in pipeline. That's amazing. And, uh, and that's how you can later in the quarter tell me, hey, I crushed it, so I want my accelerator. Also awesome, you know, no, no arguments whatsoever. Everyone is happy. Uh, I can yeah. go and, and, bat, and battle that with the board and it's not really a battle. It's kind of, uh, yeah, he crushed it. So uh, these are metrics you understand. Yeah, and you know, that was really, that was a two-way street because there was benefit to me in that as well, right? For you, it's like, oh yeah, he's getting away from demos and he's going down to revenue, which is like what we ultimately need. And for me, it was like, it gives me more options of how to get to the revenue. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh, if I'm gold on just demo requests and I just have to deliver that number every time, every demo request has to be of the same quality, you know, to make the, the downstream numbers work. But if I'm like, okay, let's lock on this. And then you, because of who you are, gives me flexibility up at the top to like, okay, if we're still tracking demo requests, of course, because it's a leading indicator to like the pipeline. But if I see that like, oh, our demo requests are a little bit light, but man, we've increased conversion rates or we've increased ASP. Great. I've made up for that now when we've gotten down to pipeline. And then I can actually go back up to the top and see like, okay, less demo requests are driving this. Now let's, you know, let's pump up the demo request still because then that will hopefully like, you know, matriculate through and I'll still get that better pipeline at the bottom. And so I think in that case, it was, it was beautiful. It was like a mutual benefit, you know, for both of us. And, um, and I don't know, I'm, I think to myself, like, why don't more marketers actually do that? You know, like I asked myself, marketers, like you're on leads or demo requests. You don't, I mean, yeah, you can fake a lead number. Maybe that's why they're sticking on leads. Cause they can like kind of, you know, they can kind of juice that lead number with like a lead magnet, you know, and just like um, gating content. But yeah, I, I, it's liberating, more liberating, I think, for me to like move down funnel. Uh, to I can so. tell you, I think, I think some uh, marketers, and I think, I mean, I don't think I know. I've been there myself. Uh, there are a few reasons why you do that. First, because many people, you know, there's the imposter syndrome, people who are mm -hmm. crushing it, but they never feel like they're good enough. And there's the opposite. People are actually not great, but they're just like faking it constantly. And, uh, and you know, uh, like, we're doing great. Uh, which really they're not. And uh, when you're closer to the other side, to the not really doing great, uh, but you're, you have this like image of yourself that you have to maintain, then you are uh, bullshitting. And so maybe you don't know how to create pipeline, but you do know how to create, you do know how to create impressions or clicks or leads or demo requests even uh, from absolutely not your ideal customer profile that you know are not gonna convert to anything but they work. Those numbers show a nice graph in Excel that is going up and to the right. Something that maybe the CEO is also playing the same game with their board. You know, I've been uh, part of companies where the management will basically spend the entire time creating presentations for the next board meeting and go into the board meeting scared shitless because they have like four hours, five hours in which they have to be in a room with people and somehow show a positive image of the company where the company is in shit, they're in shit, like it doesn't get worse, yeah. like the company is crashing and burning and no one knows, you know? Yeah. And you're like, man, all of the efforts are going into this bullshit creation um, and that's basically making decision out of fear and, you know, faking it until you make it and there are many other wor words to describe it while you can operate from a very different place 
of being authentic, honest, making tough decisions. You know, there might be a price to pay, uh, but you're basically sitting next to each other, not in front of each other, uh, trying to negotiate each other out, but you're sitting one next to one another. You have a common goal. Uh, it's a cliche, but when you are actually in that place, making decisions from that healthy place together, uh, magic happens because then you actually leverage the brain power of everyone versus kind of having this like, I just want to satisfy this person's ego, this person's like, whatever they're trying to do to, to feel good about themselves. And then they're going to do the same with the board and, you know, so on and so forth. So I think that's yeah. what, when many things uh, don't happen. And, you know, sometimes someone doesn't know how to generate those right, right results. And there's, they don't know to give themselves that time to figure it out. They just constantly feel like they have to produce these results, although they have no idea how to do so. And the only thing you can actually produce is vanity metric. Uh, yep. yep. And then try to put spin on it to like tell a story of like why that's going to end up someday uh, to revenue. It sounds like ABM platforms a little bit. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> All right. So next section. So I'm a brand new VP of marketing. I just started at a new company. got a new CEO I'm working for. What are some things I can do right away to like really jumpstart that relationship and like show the CEO like, okay, you, you brought the right person on. Think about the stuff that you did. So a lot of analysis, uh, right from the get go. Uh, first of all, put a plan together. So I, I love 30, 60, 90 days plans. Uh, so you come in and say, look, this is what I'm going to do in the first 30 days. And usually it includes a lot of diving into what worked, what didn't work. Um, and then quick wins. You know, I, I, I remember joining as a VP of marketing um, and I would do things that I didn't know if it they would work or not, but I would put many, 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 many hours, like sleepless nights uh, in the first few months, absolutely like many sleepless nights. And I would try to basically prove my CEO wrong on things that they thought are possible. Like I remember, uh, I remember uh, a conversation with a CEO I worked for when I told him, look, I'm gonna do my first webinar this month. He's like, awesome. You have to buy the, the, and, and, you know, a higher license of GoToMeeting. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, we have up to 50 attendees. I'm like, we're absolutely gonna get more to 50 attendees. He's like, absolutely not gonna happen. He's like, I've done seven webinars already. I've worked with all these agencies. I'm like, look, this is a bet we're making right now. You buy this ahead of time, and I guarantee that you'll have, you know, we'll have more than 50 or maybe 100, 150. And, that's a win. You know, that's an inspiring moment. Whether those 150 attendees ended up with sales, I don't remember. Some of them did. But just blowing it out of the water, and that is inspiration for that CEO is like, ah, oh, fuck, this is possible. And that's their baby suddenly is being looked at by more buyers. Uh, those are quick wins that you can do. Or completely changing a website, you know. It may have typos. It may not be beautiful. But if you take a, you know, a technical founder's PowerPoint export, which is the website version one, and you make it into like slightly better WordPress template and you did it in like three weeks, sure, you piss off some people with the typos and not everything is accurate, so on and so forth, but you executed it quickly. You led that effort. These are wins that no one will ever forget. You know, people will say like, this person came in and a sea of change came together with, those, uh, with that person. Um, so the plan, analysis, what worked, what didn't work, not just I'm gonna come and change everything. And then uh, some quick wins that that you make work by hours of uh, of workaholism plus tears and and sweat, those are uh, you know not changeable. Like th these will get you a lot of credit. Yeah, and I want to 
focus on something you mentioned, this 30, 60, 90 plan. So I think one of the important things in this is, so you've got a brand new, like it's a brand new relationship. You've got, you're working with a new CEO. You want to make sure that you have a conversation with the CEO like, hey, when I make this plan, I want to make it a stretch plan, which means I'm not going to hit every single one of these things. But when you set that up, it gives you the ability to think a lot bigger as that head of marketing. So you're like, because if you're in this other way and the CEO's like, no, the 30, 60, 90, you have to make every single one of those. Then you're like, oh shit, you're going to bring it back down to like what I know I can do because you're like, I have to. So you want to have that conversation with your CEO like, hey, listen, I want to build a stretch plan for you. But to build a stretch plan means, you know, we're maybe going to get 60 to 70, 75% of this stuff done. Um, but that, that, what you'll get done in that plan is, I think, way more than you'd get done in a plan where you're like, you really made it to everything, every single thing you knew you could hit. So I think that's, that's an important thing. And that's one of the things that you and I kind of really talked about early on was, hey, we're going to set stretch goals. And some of them are going to be really critical. So like, we need to make sure this is a stretch goal and it's critical, like let's say demand. But we're going to set stretch goals on other things like maybe a conference, you know what I mean? Or that, okay, we're going to, we're going to consider that goal the gospel. But if we don't hit it, no one's getting fired. You know what I mean? Like, and so, and I think that was, that was important for me because, you know, I came in with pretty high anxiety of like, you know, wanting to make every number work. But knowing that like, okay, we got to get 80% of this done, not 100%. And so that means we can set the stretch goals up high. And I think that really helps us actually do some things that people are like, how did you guys do that? Because we're, we're not holding ourselves back with like, oh, what's Gil going to think? Or, you know, I feel like I can put that stretch goal out with you. And then, you know, we kind of like work through it together. And so I think that's important for other marketers and, you know, your relationship with your CEO or even your CMO, honestly. Um, yeah. Another thing in here, um, like you mentioned, you've got to have the quick wins first. And so... And that's the analysis of like, okay, what's working and what's not? And where, where's the low hanging fruit, you know, which is like maybe low effort and really high impact against a main company goal, which is probably revenue. Um, and so, you know, uh, I was able to do that with uh, the conversation ads, which everybody <laughs> knows now, you know, when, when we first started working in the full-time capacity it was right in the beginning of the pandemic and we had to lower the budget for marketing. Um, and but not lower the goal because like we still want to make our number this year that we committed to the board uh, but we want to do it in a way that like okay is money coming in what's happening in the world right now with the pandemic and i was able to i think maybe surprise and delight you a little bit with what we were able to do with the, those conversation ads and i think that probably helped solidify some of that early relationship or some of that early trust understatement you're understanding it like crazy i mean <laughs> reduce goal i cut your goal your budget by 67 percent you know the budget was significantly lower and uh the goal didn't change at all and then you ended up exceeding it so uh, fuck yeah obviously that completely uh that was a great moment um i remember showing the the spreadsheet you know to the board and showing like look we cut our budget for the company by two-thirds marketing included and we exceeded all the pipeline goals we had. Uh, that's innovation under uh, adversity, you know? You've done really yeah. well. You, you, I think in general, you do really well under that. Uh, so that was very impressive and built a lot of credit, you know, for, for years to come. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and also I focused on the data, you know, and that was easy for me because I'm an ops guy. Um, but focusing on the data and really like letting the data guide 
what we needed to do. And now when I say focus on the data, I'm not talking like attribution and like that bullshit. I'm talking about like the demand model that we built together, which is like, okay, we need to hit this much in ARR, which means this much in pipeline and this much in, you know, opportunities, meetings, demo requests. And we really focused on like being accurate with that. So, and I know those first several quarters, um, it was pretty accurate. You know what I mean? We used some historical data. We didn't have a lot of volume, but it was actually surprisingly accurate. And us having that demand model, those first few quarters of that year, which was 2020 now, I think both from sales and marketing perspective, like really helped us make sure we hit those, those goals. And so the focus on the data too, as a marketer shows that like every CEO I'm imagining wants to know their head of marketing is data driven in some way, even if it's not like, okay, attribution last, you know, like I'm not, again, I'm not talking about that, but focus on like, how much am I spending? Knowing how much I'm spending on what kinds of things, what's the general return, you know, that I'm able to get. And is that turning into the pipeline that I'm, you know, um, committed to deliver? And that's what I really mean on focusing on the data. Um, and then using analysis to get better over time, you know, and luckily we have our platform that helps us with a lot of that. But there's also some deeper analysis that we are able to do that like helps us, you know, either refocus a new ICP, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's helped us too. The demand model uh, is like the CEO, the technical data-driven CEO's wet dream. I can guarantee you. <laughs> Every time you show me that spreadsheet with very accurate, you know, top line to, uh, to revenue, you had everything in there. You had the conversion one from leads to MQLs to SQLs to stage one, two, three, four, I think it was five, six to, to mm -hmm. six close, close <laughs> one. Uh, because this is already the data model that I live within. You know, I'm already, I'm already thinking, like everyone is thinking in data models, like everyone is thinking in pattern. Just like a VC, when I present to a VC, they have their own acronym, you know? They have their pattern that they're looking for. They have the ACVs, you know, CAC, the LTVs. Like they have their own. And you basically brought in, you, you came to my world, uh, you know, with the same data model that I'm already accustomed to and showed me, this is your world. Gil, I'm putting money here and money is coming out from here. This is my expectation. And then you deliver and you deliver again and you deliver again. And you create in my mind, you're, you're essentially conditioning me to understand that this is something you don't have to worry about at all. This model is working. It's going to keep working. It's predictable. It's growing over time. You put more money, it's going to get even more effective. Uh, and that, as a CEO, that gives you so much comfort to the extent where when you do have a new program, you say, hey, I'm going to spend this money on this program. You're not immediately coming up with stupid questions like, how much ROI is this going to drive? How much pipeline is this like, what you mentioned, this truck, the, 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 the truck yeah. together, like, you're not worried about those things too much. Not to the extent where you're ignorant about it. It's like, we just burned a million right. dollars and have no idea how it came about. No, <laughs> it's more like yeah. there are programs that you're running. Some of them are more set in stone and are easier to track. Some of them are more innovative. You have a marketing mix. Overall, you are a profit unit. So I'm not worried. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's working out well. I'm, I'm, we're still having fun, which is great. And so, but let's talk about that. So like, okay, you're in the honeymoon phase is over. You know what I mean? So like now you're in, you've got your CEO and your VP of marketing are working together for a while. The honeymoon phase is over and things like get tough. And so how do you maintain the relationship as a company is rapidly scaling? Because as we know, scaling, especially as fast as we are and some other like really high growth puts pressure on all departments, you know, and Oftentimes, like if you got a, 
a lot of people, like not everyone can grow in the same way. And so we've got to always be thinking like, okay, important to focus on the company growth. We're trying to like make sure we try and bring everybody, you know, with the company, like grow with the company at the same pace, but that doesn't always happen. So what are some things like we can do to maintain the relationship as that like scale up, you know, is happening and as the pressures are, you know, continue to like build? Yeah, I think that's a very important topic. Uh, you know, with the right level of maturity, if you understand that working in, a, in the startup means that you're basically squeezing in, in every year you, ske you squeeze in between at the bare minimum three, best case scenario, maybe 10 years, you just squeeze a lot of learning, a lot of progress, so much faster than the average. Then you have to be uh, with understanding that this, you're building something that is much greater than you. Therefore, you can't put everything around you. Also, most importantly, not as a founder and CEO. So as a founder and CEO, I have to always be cognizant of the fact that I have to grow as fast or faster than the company. Otherwise, I'm out. I need to take a different role, uh, be on the sidelines, and get someone else to do this uh, better because I'm trying to make this thing the biggest and the fastest uh, possible. Same thing goes for the others. And it, it, it kind of brings back to the whole making decision out of opportunity and and not making decision out of fear. When you're making a decision based on how am I not gonna get fired or how am I not gonna make, you know, have a different C-level executive above me or, uh, or something like that, you, you can have those tough conversations from day one and say like, okay, we're gonna start this relationship, things are great right now, what happens when things are not great? And you have some sort of agreement. Uh, yeah. You, you know, I, I need you, Mr. CEO, or I need you, uh, you know, Mr. VP of Marketing. I, I need to be able to have this conversation with you. Check, check. Uh, that that may mean that at some point I'm going to tell you that you're not going fast enough. Okay, okay. Are you going to fire me the next month? No. Uh, I guarantee that I will not fire you or cut your pay or like, you know, you have this agreement that gives you leeway to grow and uh, and assess yourself and improve. And if indeed you hit a, a limit, in a, you know, like you can't grow fast enough or the company is going faster than you are, or something happens, you can have this conversation without, there's always emotion gonna be involved, but without too many of them. And, and, um, and think about it a little bit from an outside perspective because every person has this conversation with someone, you know? A, a VP has a conversation with their people, uh, a CMO has a conversation with their VP, a board has the conversation with the C-level, like someone has this conversation with someone at any point of time. And the question, question is, is it gonna be a surprise question? Are you gonna be uh, terrified when this conversation happens or you will always have it, you always have this, have this, I'm not gonna take this relationship as granted and I'm always gonna be cognizant of the fact that I need to grow. And uh, honesty also means tough, you know, tough feedback when the time comes. Um, and if you have some agreement ahead of time, hey, I'm not gonna, just wake up one day and fire you. Uh, I, I'm, I will always tell you as early as possible when there's tough feedback coming and we'll together figure it out. Sit, keep sitting next to each other and figure out the best way uh, forward. You know, I like to tell the story of, uh, I worked at this company, I won't mention its name, but I worked at this company and uh, man, the boss and I did not do well together. We were just very different characters, you know? Um, a lot more strict, a lot more micromanagement, a lot more, you know, great, Great person, I have come to, to, to appreciate them more, you know, a decade and a half later, but we did not work well together. That person bounced and I had a new boss and I was like, fuck, I really don't want to repeat this bad relationship. Um, 
the new person came along and he was a great person. And I started like building this trust. But at some point I needed to move. I needed to move geographically. And I was on an H-1B visa, which means uh, the company is holding me strong in uh, the genital area where basically they can cause me to be uh, banished from the, from the U.S. You know, they're like, right. peace, yeah. you're out. And uh, I really didn't want that. And I was afraid of that. So that was like my fear-based decision. What do I do? Usual advice, 99% of the time, start looking for a job, get, secure the next job, then tell, tell someone. But if I did that, I basically say, go fuck yourself. Excuse me, man, you're probably not going to cut a lot of this. But it's like, you're going to, you know, the, the usual that would be is like, go behind the back, do all of your scheming, and then come with a set decision. But I actually like this person a lot. And I, I, I ended up going to him and telling him like, look, um, I'm going to move soon. And I actually am buying a ticket. It's going to be in four months. I'm on H1B, you know that. So... Uh, by having this conversation with you right now, you basically can bounce me out. And I have like 30 days to find a new sponsor, otherwise I'm out. And that, I was afraid of that, true. But I also had enough trust when I said, I'm going to put it on the table and then see what happens. And that person told me, look, love the fact that you shared it with me. Now, I don't have to look for someone in like a, a minute and a half and like somehow figure out how to, how to solve for this hole. Instead, that person bought me a ticket, bought me his own ticket, gave me a week to find an apartment in a new place, gave me carte blanche to interview, and then enslaved yep. me. You know, it gave me a shit tons of work to do <laughs> for those four months. But it was fair game, you know. I worked really yep. hard yep. to transition, and it was such a win-win. And I learned so much from it. And I said, this is how I would like other people to treat me. Like, you know, if I establish enough trust, and that person gives me, you know, they put themselves in a vulnerable position that they didn't have to, and in return, we build such a better win-win situation for both of us. That's you know, that's like, that's the epiphany I got from it. And uh, that's the kind of trust I want to have with people who are working uh, for me and with me. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the golden rule. If you get that, man, you can have the toughest conversation around whatever, and still everyone is happy, everyone is growing. Um, and I think that's beautiful. This is, this is the way it should be. And... It's not, unfortunately. So even like this is actually why I got fired from Tableau, because I felt it was much more important for me to be honest and truthful with my employees versus doing what HR asked me to do and scheduling some random meeting with them two fucking floors down when I have my own office and HR sitting in that room and waiting for us to show up with this person. And it's a surprise to that person. And that's not who I am. And I always thought it, could, it could, does not have to be this way. It can be this way that, you, you know, that you're talking about right now. And on, from both perspectives, like even from my perspective, like if we can have enough trust in that relationship where like, oh man, I'm not doing well and I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go find another job, you know, or here's what I'm seeing and I, I just don't think this is gonna work out for me and here's what, you know, here's what I wanna do. Or from your perspective, like, I remember when I was moving from contractor to full-time, we had that conversation. It was like, this is my first VP of marketing job, right? I've been in ops and doing the ops thing, first startup. And you're like, hey, I have confidence in you, but like, we don't know what's going to happen over the next two to three years. You know, you could take this and run with it and you could be the CMO or we could get two years in and we're like, okay, you're still like developing some stuff and we, we think we need a CMO. But what you told me is you said, my commitment to you is I will talk to you about that first. And I trusted you because we'd already been working together for six months. So I already had that like initial trust. And I was like, 
that is fine with me. And I remember I told you, I was like, yep, I'll be okay with that. Of course, emotions will be involved, but, you know, I'd much rather that than like, I'm one of these 18 month disasters, you know what I mean? Because we weren't talking about it or I wasn't meeting expectations and you didn't, you were, you just felt like it was easier for you to go find somebody else than to help me with those things, you know? And so that, uh, this is how it should be. You know, I, I just, there, maybe there's some HR people out there. They're like, no, it can't be like this for public companies because this and that. I, I mean, I'll challenge you on that all day long, but I just can't imagine like this is not how it should be, you know, uh, especially in like important relationships like the VP of marketing and CEO or, you know, CMO and VP or C, whatever, CMO, CEO, et cetera. Um, so I really appreciate that. And we, it's, it literally can't be understated, you know, the importance of that. And that's, I think it's really helped our, helped us stay close. You know what I mean? Even through like some of the tough times and like some of the tough conversations that we've had to have. So, um, awesome. Um, this is great. And I think, you know, as we wrap up, uh, I could keep going forever, but you know, let's maybe wrap up and just, uh, just maybe recap a couple things, you know, for our VPs of marketing CMOs out there that are either building a new relationship with their CEO or maybe struggling right now a little bit with the relationship, you know, what are a couple, couple pieces of advice we can leave them with? Man, uh, be authentic. You know, some people build this fake persona for work. It must be tiring. Uh, don't try to minimize the amount of decision you make from fear. And it's really not that hard to know. Like when you're about to make a decision, if you're scared shitless, that's not a good place to make a decision. Do whatever you need to do. You know, uh, smoke a joint, go for a walk, do psychedelics, meditate. <laughs> Go hang out with your family, hike, I don't know, do something, go party, do something that you need to, to, to put yourself at a better place. Uh, think about the decision a little bit more. Um, if, if, there, if, you know, if there is a tough decision or a tough conversation to be had, have it. Have it first, too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people love having those one-on-ones. They talk about every, the 29 minutes are full of non-important topics. And like the 30th minute then you bring up something that is like uh, shit like like why did we did not talk about this for the last 29 minutes so uh talk about that first uh if you're a ceo and you're a vp of marketing struggling clear your schedule you know invite them over physically fly them over to meet you uh it's never easier finding a new person than w maintaining and improving an existing relationship not to say that you have to you know always you know, it's, everything is going to work out perfectly and the trajectory of growth is going to work. No, that's not, that's not promised. You may need to bring another person, maybe in addition, maybe uh, as a manager. There might be many different setups, but have an honest conversation from a good place, from a good trusting place. Explain your world. Uh, you know, as a CEO, the more I, I, I tell you about my life and about how I make decisions and about the people who are influencing me and about how I'm being judged, the easier it is to, to have this conversation uh, with the VP of marketing. And I think that's really the job. That's the, that's the job. You know, that's the job you have as a CEO. Like, uh, be that person having those conversations and equip the person with that data so that they don't operate in silo and they don't operate in a bad environment out of fear. That, to me, uh, if, if, uh, if CEOs remember that uh, and VP of marketing, VPs of marketing can manage up and help their CEOs work from that place, 
that's 80% already. That will build that trust, that will build that, that credibility with one another. Nice. Awesome. Well, Gil, this was fun. I'm glad we did it finally. Uh, this will be a great episode. I know a lot of people get uh, some value out of. You know, if you're a CMO or VP of marketing that's you know having some struggles in this, um, get your CEO to listen to this episode. You know, I think there might be some things that Gil has said that like maybe will get them to think about things a little bit differently just hearing it from another CEO. So try that out. Uh, also, if you have any questions, you know where to find me on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Please go like, subscribe, share if you're just getting a lot of value from this. Um, we're having a great time doing it. So thanks again, everybody, and uh, see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.